0: Welcome to the show. Today, my guest is the amazing Robert Smythe. He is a late identified autistic. He is the host of the podcast, The A-Team, which you guys have got to go check out. These are conversations that will touch your heart, will move your soul, and you will be so relating, nodding your head the whole time. And by the way, guys, his voice is so, so, so gorgeous (laughs) (laughs) gorgeous <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna love it you're gonna love it it is super sturdy. and I love that you're laughing at this because it's so true hey if you're on Instagram go check him out he posted an oil painting someone did of him a portrait it's beautiful the other day oh my gosh so, you so loving it not only is he a late identified autistic not only is he the host of the A Team podcast he's also a famous and glorious pastry chef probably just famous for all of those who will love sweets, but you know, hey, <laughs> that's us. But he's also a wonderful thespian. Gotta love that. Gotta love that. Gotta love my fellow thespians. So guys, welcome to the show, Mr. Robert Smythe. Hi, I'm Carol Jean, founder and host of Mind Your Autistic Brain talk show and community. And you're about to experience the new way to thrive in life and relationships as a late-identified autistic by unveiling who you are, how you communicate, finding your self-care plan from the inside out, and being the authentic creator of your best life. Get ready because this is where we go against the mainstream. Say no to outdated society norms and we say yes to who we are in order to create a joy-filled, balanced and more neurodistinct world. Welcome to Mind Your Autistic Brain.
1: Robert Smythe. Thank you very much. I, I feel like I should just quit while I'm ahead. <laughs>
0: Oh my goodness! Terribly, terribly, terribly embarrassing. I know, right?
1: Well, I, I mean, you know, it's it's weird, right? Because on one hand, it's like, oh, come on, shucks, and then really, is that all you have?
0: Well, if I could keep going, I would. I mean, I have just like a slight little crush going on over here. But okay. Well,
1: I, I'm starting to starting to get that vibe. Now it's weird. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, seriously! Just yeah, massive yeah, I'm respect. Just gotta, for I'm just gonna
1: fan myself. That's all. Yeah.
0: I got the vapors. Stop! <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, it's funny that I you should. I'm so say, glad
0: you're here. <laughs>
1: oh, it's funny that you should just say the vapors. Last night in my um in the in the theater history class I was teaching, we were talking about streetcar Named desire, and we were talking a lot about you know it, it was funny because these are graduate students who absolutely had never really encountered streetcar Named desire and are unaware. Finally, one of them said, Wait, on the golden girls, there's a character Blanche. from the South, and her name is Blanche. And, and do you think do you think they're related? <laughs> Were you not dying? How do you not know? I'm, well, you I, know her if, name if, I've been I've been teaching these guys for almost a year now, and it's just like nothing really surprises me anymore. But it's just it, it is at this point in life very, very um challenging. But that, that's the word I want to use, challenging, um, to continually butt up against Um, you know, one has a warehouse of experience and then one forgets that when you're talking to someone who is a third of your age, they really don't have that experience. And, and I tend to think, you know, that what I grew up with, maybe what you grew up with, you know, that, that's history. That's what everyone should know. And it's, no, it's what I should know. Um, (laughs) and then of course I start heading into old man Grumpus territory because it's like, oh, they don't know what I know. And um, who cares about TikTok? I don't know what that is. Um.
0: <laughs> it makes George Carlin real relatable lately. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> right. Yes, exactly. So, you know, there we go. But anyway, we I eventually did get, get it over to them, you know, who Blanche was and why she's important and all that, but, but she was from um, Mississippi, not from, uh, not from it uh, and not from Georgia.
0: So. <laughs> well, you know, there's so many things that I come across as well and it's, we have to remember my partner's twenty years younger than me, so I run into this on the regular.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh! Woohoohoo. Carol Jean, good for you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what's really, what's really interesting is so funny because like he and I were both like, "Ooh, there's too much of an age difference here," but then we just like, just we just had so much in common, we don't related, you, and we're just feel, like you know, now we don't even think about it until he says something like. Well, you know, back in the age of the dinosaurs, when there was actually vinyl, like, oh, dude, you did not just say that.
1: I know what you mean, though, because um, it's funny. I got to a certain point, And I don't know, but I, I know I'm older than you. But um, there are people I know now who are my age who are going to go, well, you know, at my age. And I'm like, what do you mean at your age? What the hell is that supposed to mean? I work with um, people at the restaurant right now who are who are a third of my age. And I have said to them, I feel like you're contemporary, you know, and there's like, and they're like, well, you actually have more energy than we do. <laughs> and I'm like, damn straight. Um, so I just don't understand the people. And, and it's always felt like that to me that, you know, um, you know, there are those people who are like, I can't wait to be middle-aged. You know, kind of when they were small, they're like, I can't wait to be middle-aged. <laughs> I can't wait to grow up. And I just feel like I feel literally like I've always been the same age. Ever since I was little, right? So it doesn't really, so it so it always surprises me to look in the mirror and see, you know, gray hair. Um, well, yeah. And then um, it's so I just, it just always surprises me that there are people who are like, well, you know, you're younger than I am. And so it may be like, like your comment when something, when an obvious difference does show up, it's a little bit like a slap in the face because it's like, w- what do you mean you don't know that? You know? Um, and it's astonishing. So so what I try to do is just let's stay away from any kind of historical reference because it just, it doesn't pay off.
0: <laughs> you know, that's such an interesting point you bring up because I I think that I, I've had that same experience. I mean, that's sort of how I exist in the world. It's I, I've never had like this age mindset, I would say. Mm-hmm. Perhaps that was what I, I should refer to it as, as an age mindset. I remember being, you know, 12 or something, sitting in the back of the car coming home from carpool one day, thinking, God, I can't wait till I'm 16 so I can drive myself and I don't have to be in the car with all these kids from carpool. You know, I remember Mm -hmm. having those kinds of thoughts. But as far as like feeling a certain age or behaving, you know, age appropriately, I'm 47. I don't (laughs) behave age appropriately at all.
1: I don't never, even feel I, like I'm
0: my age. I'm like, no. I'm still in my well, 20s. But
1: like, even when you say that I don't even feel my age, what is that supposed to mean? You know, I'm 61, about to be 62. And I remember my grandfather. It's funny. Um, when I turned 60, I was really going, I was it was hitting me hard, mostly because I thought I remember my grandfather when he was 60. And I have a picture. The only picture I have of him is him holding me in his lap when I was a kid. And I figured out from talking to some cousins that in that picture he's not sixty; he's fifty-five. <laughs> but he's the old man I remember, and I'm like, "Oh, I'm not that guy." And it somehow freed me to be like, "Oh, okay, that's not who I am," because um, among other things, I'm in better shape than I am now. You know, I am in better I am in better shape now than I've ever been in my life, and I refuse to believe that. Oh, well, you know, you can't do that or any of that stuff. But you know what I'm thinking about from what you're saying, all of a sudden, because why? I'm autistic and all of a sudden (laughs) I had to have an idea while you were talking. Um, I wonder if the ability, is it an ability or a tendency, whatever it is we're doing, I feel like I don't pay attention to those kinds of mindsets. A friend of mine asked me, he, he, he's very interested in, in, in the eighteen team podcast, and, was, and today he's Russian. He's like, so please explain to me, wh- how do autistic people think? I'm like, that is not something that can be explained so easily. And then the other, and I, I try to give some lame examples, and then I start to realize, like, oh, this is how Russians think. <laughs> very straightforward, very matter-of-fact, right? But what I thought just now was I spend so much time, I now realize, Decoding and thinking about what other people are doing and saying, and trying to figure out how I fit in. That I figure or I realize that any group of people that I'm in. So if I'm in a group of people of 20 year olds or 30 year olds, I mean, like even my class last night. Um, you know, it's a class of of graduate students, but they're all fairly young. They're all in their mid 20s, and I feel like a contemporary. And clearly, I'm not. But I realize that even as the um, even as the professor, as the instructor. I'm still thinking and trying to understand and trying to understand their thought processes, trying to understand. I'm I'm spending a lot of time trying to understand them. I'm not just simply, and this I think threw them for a loop too, um, that I'm not just standing up there and professing, you know, this is what you need to know and I don't need to know anything about you. Um, In the class that I'm teaching, I think it's very important that they're able to discuss things, and that means I have to understand a lot of what they're thinking, a lot of what their thinking processes are. So I'm wondering, I'm floating this out as an idea, and and there are only two of us here, but <laughs> we'll be a representative sample. Do you think that as autistics, this, this process that a lot of us go through, which is sometimes called masking, um, of really working so hard to understand everyone we're with, and you called it, you referred to it as, you know, like the social aspect. Um, we were talking earlier, um, you know, that this, is, this uses up a lot of social energy. And I'm wondering if that social energy, if we use that term, is really referring to, I need to fit into this group. I need to think like they do. And if they're thinking like that, I'm just gonna kind of try to f- go along. God, I'm talking a lot. you're on a talk show oh right (laughs) this is the space oh okay all right
0: that's interesting you know i like that um so i for me and this is i love i see i'm the same i love this because it's not about it's not about professing right it's about sharing reciprocity of perspective yes And I love that because that's really where I am. I am so incredibly curious. Where and that only happened for me in late identified awareness.
1: That you realized you were you realized
0: you were curious. I had well I I was afraid to be curious before. I was curious, like I'm naturally curious, but I suppressed that part because Mm -hmm. I was trying to figure out how to fit in. How to, Mm -hmm. you know, not stand out, not to be weird, not to be ostracized, yada, yada, yada. And through that, when I did allow those moments of my curiosity and my, you know, scientifically minded research, just share your perspective with me. I really want to understand how you see things. People would get real uncomfortable a lot. And the way they responded to me was either they would shut down, they would get mad. They would think I was being sarcastic or making fun of them or they would think I was just being a jerk somehow because they didn't understand maybe the way that I presented it. Maybe just from my autistic me, they didn't onboard it as, oh, because it's most people don't communicate in that way. They're not seeking to just curiosity factor of understanding other people's perspectives. It's like, oh, you don't get that. You don't see
1: why yeah. I see it this way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, the, and and what you're making me think of too is like all the times in life where <clears throat> everybody else is talking about something, <laughs> which I find boring. Because um, often I've, I've come to realize, like, oh, you're talking about people I don't know. Fastest way to shut me down. Um, you're, you're talking about people I do know. Fastest way to shut me down. And so while I'm looking over there, <laughs> I will just kind of like interrupt, or, you know, there's a lull in the conversation. I'm like, Hey, have you ever thought about the way that stained glass was made without the, you know, whatever. Right. And people are like, where did that come from? And then all I can ever think about, because it's, that's just one idea that's floating through my mind. And so all I can ever think about is what do other people think about what is going on in their minds if they don't have a gazillion things going on? I mean, is it just simply like, there's an idea.
0: I wouldn't know. It was so interesting. I read something the other day that really just so beautifully uh, described this for me. And it's like, it's like having 90 tabs open (laughs) in your brain with four different tracks of music playing simultaneously. (laughs) And I'm like, Oh my God, that's my brain. And I'm like,
1: and that's 90 majority.
0: Is it like one or two tabs open maybe?
1: Yeah. And that's 90 tabs in just one browser. (laughs) Right. You have Chrome, you have, Grome, you have Safari. I have
0: two Chrome browsers with yeah, stuff exactly. open and all. then there and
1: then there's also what you left open on your phone. Um yeah, it's exactly like that. It's exactly <laughs> exactly like that. And then um I uh so I actually have a doctor's appointment on Wednesday, tomorrow. Um where I'm hoping because I've discovered that your that one's regular GP can actually diagnose ADHD and provide uh um, prescription for it. And over the, past of, over the past year, I have become more and more um, aware, maybe that's the word I'm looking for, um, that I probably have ADHD. Um, because it, for one thing, it's so often found to be a, a co, I want to say codependent, because I hate the word comorbidity. But it shows up a lot. We Co-occurring. Co-occurring. Thank you. I like that. That's much better. And the word morbid, just, I'm not happy with that. Yeah, um, I
0: don't like it either.
1: So I'm, I'm, uh, uh, uh. Because my executive function is so poor um, and I do have responsibilities. (laughs) But someone I was talking to the other day was explaining the whole thing about why time management is a factor in ADHD. And I'm sure you already know this, but it was a a surprise and, and, and a thing to me because what he was saying is ADHD rewards you with little hits of dopamine. So you keep seeking those dopamine hits. And even though you know you should leave now or you'll be late. There's that one crossword clue <laughs> that you could get, <laughs> and you say to yourself, "It's just one crossword clue." I mean, a minute—it'll take me a minute. Well, now I'm on the ten second
0: crossword clue. Minutes later. Oh no,
1: it's often more than ten because once you finish the crossword puzzle, you, there was the article next to it. You had to start reading that, and it's on page it continues on page six. So You turn to page six, and the next. And thing oh you my know, gosh, you're...
0: I forgot the laundry and the dryer, and I got to go turn it back on because that was three days ago.
1: Yeah, exactly right. So I'm. Um so the person I was talking to said that he was taking something for ADHD and I said well what was that like what did you notice it right away he said maybe the next day and I said what what happened and he said I sat down on the couch and all I could think was this couch is really soft and that was it <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. And and there's part of of me that's kind of like, I really want that feeling. And then part of me scared, you know, it's a little bit like, does that mean, you know, there's a friend of mine who's a screenwriter, and he clearly needs to take something. (laughs) He's full of anxiety and stuff like and he's been prescribed stuff and all, and he's like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. It'll turn off my creativity. And I'm like, You can stop taking the pill. (laughs) You can stop treatment. If you find out that you don't like it, you can stop. You can also, as I understand, you can trade around. You could find something that works for you. But I'm just curious about, um, you know, I am about to be 62. I am easily, <laughs> generously, let's say generously, I'm in the last third of my life. And I would like it, I would like to find out in this last third, um, is there something that just would be easy enough to do that i don't lose who i am but just would make life just that little bit easier and not because i feel that being on time is the most important thing in the world but being on time is being respectful of other people and i have to live with other people and i hate it when my time is wasted (laughs) and there are other things too so it's like would that bring a level you know would that would that would that lessen my anxiety um i don't know i don't know are you do you take it i don't know are you adhd i don't
0: remember but what was really interesting no because i was i was identified with adhd in my mid late 20s okay and what was interesting is it took several medication trial and error kind of things you know you got to find your particular chemical cocktail for your Mm -hmm. body because everyone's Mm body is different and as a neurodistinct Mm -hmm. human it's not just our brains it's also our bodies that vary and we tend to be a little bit more sensitive to medications and chemical changes so it took a little bit but it i, I loved your friend's response to i just sat on the soap and i thought soap was soft right it was so interesting i was i was taking a lecture course at lsu and it was one of my favorite professors and i had done several undergrad things and this was post-baccalaureate and I went back and it was art history but it was a big lecture class for this and I remember sitting in that lecture and about maybe halfway through the hour and a half lecture I just remember thinking oh my god I'm not thinking about 900 other things right now all I hear is him my brain's quiet oh my god And I, I had maybe been taking that particular one that I had found was working for about two weeks. And I'm sure other things had changed. But until that moment. That was
1: the, that was the thing that really told you?
0: It hadn't really. Because normally I would have been fighting, like trying to focus, bring myself back and going in and out and trying to take notes and then getting distracted by somebody tapping their pen on the next row or whatever but I just remember thinking oh my god there's nothing else happening in my brain except this whoa it's quiet in here like in here in my head it's quiet in here I didn't know it was so loud before
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I didn't know
1: did you like that feeling
0: Yes. And no. I, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Because it was less exhausting. Like I wasn't as tired. That took a little bit to recognize, like, cause there's a lot of mental energy. Like mm-hmm. you say, you know, you're really struggling with just executive functioning. Well, when you got 90 tabs open on three, four different browsers, plus your phone and all the music and everything going at the same time, that's a lot of energy with a lot of bandwidth
1: happening. Mm-hmm. That's a lot
0: of consumption. Yes. And for the majority of us, when we're not aware of that, when we have nothing to compare it to, so that's the norm. We think that's, we, we don't even know that that's loud. Until yes. we've experienced quiet don't know. And so for me, I took ADHD medication for about four or five years. And that was it because it allowed me to know what it's like to be quiet in my brain, in my thoughts, and allow me to be aware of what that is. So then I found things in my life that I started to change from just the way that I thought about the world, the way I thought about myself, um, the way that I perceived things. And just simply finding now that I knew what that experience of a quiet mind was, I found ways and things that helped me get there. Um, It worked for me because I have several other co-occurring health conditions like POTS, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. So a lot of the medications and the things that I found that were working for my brain weren't working for my body. They Uh, were causing lots of other mm -hmm. issues with heart rate, stuff like that. So I stopped taking them. And I simply started to really work on finding ways that gave me a, not the same exact level of quiet, but they got me closer to quiet, but it just took me knowing what that was for me.
1: Did you, do you seek out that quiet? Was it, was it, did you feel like you were missing an old friend not to have all the noise or was it like, oh, thank God now I can finally sleep?
0: It was super weird, like really uncomfortable because it wasn't what I was used to. So that took a little bit. And that really was more of me looking at, well, what am I accustomed to? What was my norm? And was the norm that I had? Was it serving me? You know, and is, is it- there a new norm that I know it's uncomfortable, but that's just because it's new? And it doesn't mean that it's good or bad. It just means it's something I'm not
1: accustomed to. It's different, to. right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess in some ways, I want to try. Like I said, I will try anything. Um, and what I'm curious about, because there have been times in my life where I feel like, oh, this is me, but this is like a version of me. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm talking about? So I know exactly so what you're like, talking like, about. Like a clone, right? So, was this experience? Will this experience, if I go forward with it? Will it end up with me kind of going like, "Oh, this is like me Prime, or this is like me Alpha or Beta," because um, I'm definitely still myself, <laughs> but I'm another version of myself. Well, or like is in it the multiverse,
0: simply, there's like a zillion. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. You, right? <laughs> or, or is it
1: just simply like, "Oh, thank God." So, I guess, I guess, I guess, my question is, for me, it's not necessarily for you, Carol Jean, but is it the kind of thing of like, "I'm so." used to being the uh for lack of better word I'll say integrated self, the guy with all the noise. (laughs) Is it gonna be weird to not have that noise? And therefore will I feel like I'm less of myself?
0: I will be curious to know the answer to that question after (laughs) we tried it. We'll have to come back and do this again.
1: Yeah, exactly. While I'm on the drugs
0: (laughs) (laughs) I want to know what version I'm getting. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, well no, right now it's unfiltered. I'm I'm not doing anything. Well, actually that's not quite true. Um when I was looking all this up and as you said there are different medications that are used, and a while ago I was pres- prescribed with an antidepressant. And I'm according so my daughter is a physician now. And she looks at that and goes, like, well, that's like the minus, you know, that's like the smallest dose. I'm like, okay, fine. It, it made me happy. Um, and it solved some problems for me. And I, you know, uh, it's funny because I was taking it once a day. <laughs> and then I switched doctors and I was like, oh no, he said, You're supposed to be taking it twice a day, which I didn't know. Um and it and it changed some things, but I was interested when I was looking up ADHD treatment that the 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 drug that I'm taking um bupropion which is also known as um uh, what's its commercial wellbutrin. name well wellbutrin thank you you're good <laughs> i'm not going to ask why um but wellbutrin and um uh uh i saw that this drug is used to c- can be used uh, to treat adhd so then i started thinking huh so when i started taking bupropion has has it in some way already depressed or dampened Any ADHD that I might have, um, which I just found fascinating um, because I did feel a big difference after I started taking this stuff. Uh, And now knowing what I know, I'm almost afraid to to ever stop taking it because um, there are enough voices in my head already. Thank you. And they're not voices, they're ideas. They're not voices people they're not voices. Um, they're my
0: internal monologue. There is They're, there's they're, a lot they're of just lots happening. of
1: stuff like ah this is stuff I got to do. Yeah, it's an internal monologue. Exactly, right? It's not other it's not any outside source it's just like oh my god there's so much to do. And you were talking about energy and that got me thinking too. So I'm sure you saw the movie The Matrix. Oh yes. yeah. okay. So you know one of the things that they talk to they, they when when they rescue Keanu Reeves, you know Neo, and they call him Copper Top because He's, you know, the the whole thing about the robots is that they're using humans to generate electricity, uh, power. And they talk briefly about how much energy, which is a fact, how much energy actually goes into thinking. And so I I, I grew up with, you know, a mother who would always say things like, you know, I don't have energy for this, which so energy always seemed to me to be kind of a concept, you know, in the same way that she would say, oh, you know, I've got, my nerves are shot again, concept. So I was very surprised when I actually discovered you You can dissect a body and find an actual an actual thing that is a nerve. <laughs> I thought it was just like made up stuff. And they're um,
0: really pretty under a microscope.
1: They are. They are very pretty. Um, and uh, uh, well, what I was saying about energy is so I'm also curious, because I really think it's a thing, that for people who are using a lot of mental energy, it's not just like, oh, yeah, you know, there are a lot of things going on in my head. It's like, like no, literally, <laughs> I'm burning a lot of calories, keeping this stuff all straight. Um, And so that just got me thinking about that. Uh, um, Just because what you were saying was just like, right, how many calories do we burn up compared to someone who is neurotypical? I wonder if there's any study done on that.
0: I don't know. And I'm very curious. (laughs) There's so there's so many things that are studied, and usually from for the most majority part, from a neurotypical perspective. So it's not Mm -hmm. answering the questions that we want to know. And that's one of the questions. It's like, what's the what's the difference? Well, if you look at and they and they look at fmri's and several other different types of imaging of our brains, and for the same task. That you have a neuromajority brain performing versus a neurodistinct brain. A neuromajority brain is maybe only using two to three areas of the brain to perform that specific task. In the neurodistinct brain, there are five, seven, nine different areas of the brain lighting up during that task performance. Same exact task.
1: Right, which is
0: more parts of our brain. We have deeper folds creating deeper more.
1: folds we have and that i think gets back to the whole idea of um neural pruning and the idea that um you know by a certain age most human beings their their, their brains have figured out what they don't need and so those parts of the brain are so-called pruned turned off (laughs) shed i don't know what um and that because that doesn't necessarily happen to us as has been shown in studies you know those different areas of the brain i always think of as like yeah it's not it's and and i don't this is i haven't studied this but my feeling is somebody might look at that difference between two or three areas of the brain versus nine areas of the brain and go oh see it takes them More brain power to do the same work, right? Instead of like, no, 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 no. That we have nine areas of our brain lit up to your two or three because we're doing we 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 have three or four times as many thoughts about the same input, and that's what's going on. And there's no uh, filter filtering out all
0: of the information that's coming in. And And what's interesting is that that's where the innovation happens. Oh yeah. That's oh, why yeah. we are amazing innovators because we are not looking at just the obvious, you know, six or nine solution to the drawing on the floor. Uh, We're looking at what does it look like from above? What does it look like from a 45 degree angle? What does it look like and, from below? What if, we, and what what if those, we turn it on its side?
1: And what are those neurons that are lighting up? You know, they're touching other neurons. So all of a sudden you're like, Oh yes that's like this thing I read once I saw or whatever like that. And people are like, where did you pull that up? And it's like, I have no Find idea. palace. <laughs> well, it's more than a palace. Uh, I...
0: <laughs> Sometimes it's a dumpster fire in my world Well, it so, is a know. dumpster
1: fire, but no, I mean, I, it was just like there, the number of things that I can remember. And I used to, used to bother me until I realized that like, because people would say, well, where'd you find that? Like I needed to cite the source and I'd be like, it doesn't matter. It exists. This was before Google where you can now just go, I'll tell you where I found it. I'll look it up again. Um, and I'm really, really bad at remembering the source of something. Cause I'll remember the idea and I can't remember generally where I read it, heard it, or where it came from, who's responsible for it. Because the idea is the thing that takes place in my brain as it unfolds. And I understand it. It's like, ah, okay. And then I see all of the particular places. It's a little bit like, um, You know, when, 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 uh, uh, they talk about, um, you know, like how our immune system works and that, you know, there, there are, when we talk about proteins that interlock with a virus and it's like a key, you know, and there's a gap in the virus and that's where the protein can fit in et cetera, et cetera, (coughs) excuse me. I always feel that way about ideas, you know, that they, they, they're like jigsaw puzzles. They're not, they're not perfectly round spherical things. They're jigsaw puzzles. They have all the little knobs that stick out in different ways. It's Tetris. Yeah. But three dimensional tetris, right? right? and 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 so there's always a thing that's like, well, that kind of touches on this thing. Um I know that I'd kind of drive my students crazy because when we talk about things, it's <laughs> like last night, we're having this discussion. Um, they're all theater designers. so they're costume designers, lighting designers, and set designers. And they are used to thinking visually, or they should be thinking visually. And this whole purpose of this course is like, okay, we're going over the history of Western dramatic literature. And my job is not just to kind of go like, okay, this play was written in, you know, 2000 BC, but instead to say, so when we're looking at a text, you need to know how to integrate, how to interrogate this text so it can yield up ideas because there are so many little nooks and crannies and things and you know, we started off the year with them just kind of going like, "I read a script. Literally, I read a script, and as I'm reading it, I'm noting how many doors are needed." And it's like, then you're not reading the script; you're just following oh, a blueprint. Oh, they're
0: reading for the technical details.
1: Exactly right. Like how but many? But not looking do we
0: need? at well, what is that door historically going to be made of? What is it going to look like? What are some of the variations in that particular time frame that that door would be, and or and how is it inf- impacting? How is that door influencing the conversation in the room?
1: Because we want to think, if it's a door, what does the door lead to? It doesn't lead off stage; it leads right. to something. What is hidden behind that door? We, um, I, I, you may not be very familiar with Streetcar Named Desire, but very early on when Blanche Dubois arrives and accuses her sister of abandoning her at the plantation that Blanche was forced to keep going all by herself, she talks and accuses her sister and says, you know, I was there for all of the deaths. I was there for all of them. Mother, father, Margaret in that way so big with it so big they couldn't bury her in a coffin okay so that's just what well, just one little line in a rather long monologue and i had to point out to them i said so here's a question for you who's margaret and they were like uh, a servant i'm like she's mentioned in the same breath as mother and father mother and father who's margaret And they all went, uh, so I said, Blanche and Stella are sisters. Blanche is Stella's older sister by five years. We are told in the stage directions who's Margaret. And all of a sudden they went, is she a sister? I said, I don't know. But if we know that Blanche is the eldest of three sisters, that gives a lot more oomph to Blanche's continual insistence that she's not as old as she looks (laughs) that sometimes she lies and says she's the youngest sister, right? That this is. And then it also tells us something about Stella. Stella did not return home for anyone's deaths. And they all went, Oh, I said, so Stella is not the blameless, you know, little victim here. What, why didn't Stella go home for any of those things? And you could see them all going like, Oh, and I said, I'm sorry, but you guys, you need to understand this, because this is the story that you're you read this, and now you're in- responsible for interpreting it. And I said, that's just one little sentence, <laughs> and you're already you're already designing the draperies. <laughs> I love this because you know what?
0: This is exactly like if you if if we were to get like really granular here,
1: get granular,
0: literature, yes, literature and drama specifically theater was how i learned to understand other people by thinking that way robert
1: oh i i i i I, um so as you know there there is a lot to be said about masking and the use of so-called scripts when this happens you do this and so as a kid i used to read um etiquette books (laughs) Affidley, i
0: went to white gloves and part of manners dog
1: well so well you were you were, honey you were taught mano a mano i had to read it in a book (laughs) but what i liked was especially miss manners um in the washington post because her things were always people writing in with a real life problem this happened what should i do and she was always very good Oh, when somebody says this My favorite thing, and I, I teach people this. Her, my favorite thing is when somebody asks a personal question, you just look at them and smile. And I'll bet you can do this. Just I bet you can do this. Just so nice, because there's something, something about a woman who can do it better than a man can. But when somebody asks a personal question, you just look at them, and you say, "Now, why would you want to know that?" And she says, "You do it with a little smile, and you do it with a little laugh." And every time they ask, you just say the same thing until they realize they're being a jerk. Right. I was like, this is, this is heaven sense because somebody asks me a personal question and I get flabbergasted and I'm like, uh, uh," and I, I, I'll try to, uh, you know, explain, right. Instead of going like, no, why would you want to know that? (laughs) I mean, that's so much better than saying none of your business. It's so much better. So I became a better human being, if you will, because I read these things because my normal thing would have been to either melt down or to be rude. And, um, I know there are a lot of people who are like, you know, I don't care, but it's like more
0: to word vomit and overshare because they just asked the question.
1: There you go. And then it was just like, I was just asking you how you were today. (laughs) I didn't know. I didn't need to know about the state of your bowels. I'm sorry. You know, um, right, right. So, so then, yeah, yeah. Bless your heart. Um, so the, so you're, you're exactly right. Now, the other thing, too, because I know you've acted, right? So one of the things, and it's interesting that there are a lot of autistic people who are actors. And Tons. I was explaining that to somebody a while ago, and they said, what do you mean? I said, well, I'll tell you, one of the best things. And they said, because they were like, "Because said, literally. This was a neurotypical interviewer of mine. He was interviewing me for another podcast and he just he he was just like, wait, how is that possible? You're going to love it. What do you think he said? How is that possible? Autistic people are so unemotional. Oh, for the Uh, love of all things, holy. Exactly right. So I was like, like, well, actually, let me explain. Um, So we explained a little bit. I said, but here's the important thing. And this is why I think that of all the things that autistic people could do for themselves, taking acting classes is a wonderful thing because there is literally a script where the other person in your scene can only say what you expect them to say, right? So there are no surprises. <gasps> You-topia. You-topia.
0: Right. So there are no
1: surprises. And if you have a director, you are giving your line. And you try it out in a lot of different ways and enables you to play around with like, oh, so this is what, this is what communication with be. <laughs> this is, this is a safe way to explore communication with another person. And you have a coach on the side, the director, and even your scene partner is kind of going like, yeah, I'm not feeling that. Or you might feel like, you know, I think I really nailed this. And they're like, eh, I'm not really understanding how you just said that after you said this other thing. I'm like, well, they're two separate ideas. They're like, eh, are they really separate ideas? Doesn't one kind of grow out of the other? And, and then it's very helpful then to understand like, oh, the emotional intent. Oh, because in my opinion, what are neurotypical people really communicating about? Yes, information to a certain extent, but it's also an emotional communication. I need you to validate my emotions. I need you to show me emotional support about whatever I'm feeling. So part of my communication is to give information. But the other reason I need to be with you is for this emotional exchange, um, which I'm not very good at, (laughs) which I'm not very good at in an unscripted situation. Let me put it that way. Um, I tend to default, you know, I understand somebody said to me a while ago, you've got to stop saying sorry because people will say things to me and I'm like, Oh, I'm sorry. Because I read that once in an etiquette book that you should say, you know, oh, I'm sorry. It's a polite thing to do. And people are like, why are you sorry? It has nothing to do with you. Why are you making it about you?
0: (laughs) I was just showing deference for the situation in some way. Yeah, exactly. I'm
1: I'm I'm like, you know, so now I know. So now I've shifted. So now my response is, I'm so sorry you had to go through that. Oh, fuck, I said sorry again. Oh, and I said ah. a bad word. <laughs> um, okay. But I'm like, ah, sorry is just like built into me. I was raised Catholic, so what can I do? Um, but the the whole idea of theater being kind of a, a great way, I mean, it would, wouldn't it be terrific if we all had coaches who followed us around, directors, <laughs> who as you're talking to your friends, they could go like, I really would like you to try that again, except this time I want you to be a little bit clearer about what it is you want from the other person. I'm very, I'm getting your attitude just fine, but I'm not really still understanding why you're talking to them. So I'm seeing
0: you... a whole new job description starting. <laughs> 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 I'm to hire somebody for that.
1: Seriously. Well, uh, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a good friend of mine. Um, and I'm really looking forward to her being on, on the 18 podcast. She is, um, she has her doctorate in occupational therapy and she and I are part of several um, research teams. And so that's how we've gotten to know each other. Um, And she had said to me a while ago that she wanted to um, examine the idea of how could theater, you know, what, how could, how could one create a theater program that could be replicated in places um, to do exactly some of the things that I'm talking about Um, because I think they're very important. And, um, And it wouldn't just be, and it's not like an occupational therapy situation where like, here are the everyday things, you know, like, you know, um, would you like a bag for your groceries? Where it's that kind of conversation. It's more like, it's more like streetcar named desire, you know, where there are like some really big, important scenes and some very important work about what is a family dynamic. What do you do when your sister accuses you of abandoning the entire family? And you know, you've abandoned the entire family. And yet she's sitting, standing in front of you. Cause she's about to stay with you for at least a month in your guest room. You don't even have a guest room. She's going to sleep on your couch. What do you do then? Now, granted that may not come up for everybody.
0: <laughs> but what's so interesting and what I love about that. And I guess, you know, that was something that really helped me. It's like just that level of awareness, because, you know, The neuromajority has the broken narrative that as autistics and and ADHDers, we don't, we lack quote unquote empathy, that we don't have interception and all these things, right? Which, you know, we've got alexithymia, there's all these things that that can factor in that affect this, but it's not that we lack the skills or the ability or the desire to understand this. And so when someone brought to my attention and I started to do some homework and really become aware of things I was oblivious to in my mind, that wasn't how my brain processed information, you know, I would look at a scene or a setting and I would go, what's the data? Look at the black and white. What's the data that's there? But when I started to learn and especially in theater to look like if if I was playing a character, I would look at. Well, what is going on in that character? What was their historical experience up to this point in the scene? What are they bringing with them? What are their beliefs that they're holding? What are the events that have transpired that, you know, when Blanche and her sister are having this conversation, why is Blanche mad? Why is the sister probably really feeling pretty ashamed or also just, You know, I was avoiding this because there's reasons like there was stuff that happened when we were little, you didn't know about. You know, there's all these things that until you know to ask those questions or to look for those answers or to evaluate the unseen data, the feel, the emotional history. And it's not that we don't know how to do it and that we can't do it. It's just that that's not the natural way that we immediately approach a situation. And so just learning those things makes a tremendous difference in life.
1: It also makes a tremendous difference to continue with (laughs) Blanche and Stella, if I can, that after Blanche goes on this tirade of blame, you know, I was the one who did all the work. I'm the one, I'm the one, I did it, I did it. And where were you, Stella? Where were you? Where were you? So what does, what does Blanche want? Blanche wants Stella to explain herself.
0: And she and also Stella, wants Stella to acknowledge Exactly. That and done Stella all does not. Nope.
1: And so what's interesting. Sister. What, right, right. Okay, good. Right. But what I think is important for the for the autistic is to say, well, Blanche just asked a question. Why isn't Stella answering it? Right? Because Stella uh, uh, um you know kind of sweeps it aside and doesn't really answer the question. She's evading it. It's useful to understand that Stella doesn't want to answer the question because she can't answer the question because at this point she can't admit to all of it. you know, it's full bore. And it's useful then as an autistic person to kind of go like, oh, you don't have to answer the question that you were asked. <laughs> you know, it, just imagine Blanche and Stella as two autistic. <laughs> We'd never get get out of the first scene because Stella- Could we please
0: rewrite that? That would be wonderful.
1: Wouldn't that be great? But Stella then is like, well, let me tell you. And she goes through the whole, you know, kind of thing. And it's going to be like, so you brought up these points. Point number one, let me refute each one of them. And I will, you know, it would just be a very different play. And so I think it's useful um, with, especially with really good playwrights like Tennessee Williams, who really understands relationships to be able to use these as templates and try things out with someone else. Again, when you know exactly what they're going to say, and then you get to play around with like, okay, so you're limited in what you have to say. You know, your line might only be, Carol Jean, you know, I'm sorry, I did the best I could do. But depending on how I go at you, you know, that might be said in anger. it might be said in sorrow. it might be said in shame. And that might be just said in a completely offhand, kind of like, I'm sorry I did the best I could do. Right? Um, And it's useful then for us, autistics, to kind of go like, oh, wow. So even though we've talked about it, just like you said, you know, what does Blanche, what does Stella, what do they want? To recognize that, oh, when somebody says, I'm sorry, that was the best I could do, that they may also have all of that baggage behind what they've just said. And that we need to kind of go like, oh, I need to give them the room to unpack the baggage. <laughs> I need to know that they heard me. Because I, I, somebody the other day asked me, um, they, said, I have a, they said, oh, my God, now that I'm talking to you, I realize I have an autistic employee. How do I talk to them? And I said, well, how are you talking to them now? And they said, "Well, you know, I, I try to. They, they always get angry when I try to, you know, say we're going to change things." I said, "Well, that's the problem. You're changing things." And she said, "Yeah, I know, but I always try to make it, you know, like that." I said, "No, you just need to come in and go, yo, Fred. There's been a change, so we're going to need to do this now." She said, "Oh, well, that's kind of abrupt." I said, "Because <laughs> Fred is standing there, going, like, what are you trying to tell me? What's going on? Why are you, why are you beating get around to the, the point. bush? Just get to the point. Oh, we need to change things. Okay." And she said, really? I said, yeah. What would be even better, though, would be if you said, Fred, things have changed. So we need to have different outcomes. How do you think we should do it? And she went, oh. And I said, yeah. And, you know, the really great thing about that is that's the way everyone should be treated. There you go. Right. I said, you know, it's it's like everything with ADA. When we solve the problem for one group of people, we're generally solving the problem for a lot of people. It's good management to rec- recognize that the person that you're talking to is a real person, has a real brain. You know, they've been working on, they've been working in this section <laughs> of the organization and know more about it than you do. And for you to come in and just kind of go like, Oh, I'm beating around the bush because you know like, I, I can't just come right out and say, it's like, look, this is my job. It's not my life. <laughs> You don't have to make me feel good about the fact that a decision was made by somebody else, and now it's affecting me. Just tell me what I need to do. Don't leave me guessing. Don't make me ask questions. You know, like, oh, okay. Don't be vague.
0: For all the don't be vague. Oh my God.
1: Don't be vague. (laughs) If there's one thing, if there's one place you should not be vague, it's at work.
0: (laughs) And, you know, to that, I also say, if you notice that there is a problem, if you're not getting the results and the outcomes that you're seeking, you know, at work in a particular area or project, go to the team and say, hey, guys, these are the outcomes that we're looking for. This is actually what we're getting. This is what the data is showing us. Where do you think... The problem is, and what do you think would solve this to reach these outcomes and not just make these blanket changes from, you know, 10,000 foot right, when you have right. no idea, because they may have the solution that's just like, well, if we just simply did this instead of this, that would change all of this. And instead, you're trying to completely implement a whole new program on top of this and just get rid of something exactly. which costing which more o- money and
1: time. Which often grows out of a misunderstanding of what's going on to begin with. You know, um, I remember years ago reading about uh, which I think now is fairly common in American factories, but in Japan, it was a big thing back in the seventies um, when any worker on the line could press a button and stop the line. If they saw a problem, and yes, it didn't matter I what remember. it was. And in addition, they could also make suggestions, but they could do that. And that was very new to American thinking. And, but the point was they realized that like, people who are working the line need to know that they have the power to make change. And when they're given that power, the change will not be abused. It's, it's, it's to make everything better. People take pride in what they're doing. And, um, and if you don't recognize that and you're treating someone like immediately, well, I have to be evasive in what I'm trying to say. We all know why people are evasive. you want to say something negative to me. If it were positive, you'd come right out and go, "I love the way you're doing that." You wouldn't you're be worried
0: abusive. about how I'm going to view
1: you. Yes, they're worried about my emotional state. I don't. It's okay. I'm a as my son likes. I'm to a say, grown I'm person. A, well, as he likes to say, I'm a grown ass adult. So, uh, <laughs> so, you might have to bleep that. Um, but the uh, the point is, if you're talking to someone, especially if you believe they're autistic, and that's the other thing I And the other thing I said was, you don't know this person's autistic. And what if he is? What difference does it make? He might need support. The fact that he's autistic means nothing to you. But you might notice that, hey, you said he gets angry when people make suggestions. So he needs support in how change is brought up to him. He needs support when there's change. So if you're going to make change, support him. And what does that mean? You don't just launch change i said nothing nothing gladdens the heart of maybe we are autistic but nothing makes us feel better than to say i just want to let you know and put you in the loop that maybe three weeks from now we might need to implement a different system of doing x y or z the reason for it is this and the outcome we hope for is this just letting you know and i'll keep you uh, apprised of of whatever and then doesn't matter if they're autistic or not, anybody is going to come back and go, you know, I thought about what you're saying and I'm thinking that, you know, this is a solution or this, you might want to consider this or that. It makes everything better, right? Um, no human change. Nobody, nobody. And, and um, <laughs> you know, the difference is uh, 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 the autistic person is likely to to want to react to it immediately. To not necessarily have full control over the suddenness of like, ah, you know, um, all of a sudden I'm feeling an emotion, probably anger. Um, I even said this to somebody a while ago. I was getting angry about a change. I I was like, literally, they told me about something and I was like, oh my God, that's a change. Oh my God, I can feel my pressure, my blood pressure rising. And I said, you know, you know, I just said as calmly as I could i reached behind me to get, (laughs) to get what I needed as far as, you know, like how do I pull on a reserve? And I I realized I didn't have much of a reserve. And I said, I need to go out for a walk. I said it very calmly. and, And their response was simply, why are you getting angry? And it's like, how did emotion come into this? I've been trying to keep emotion out of this. And now you want to know about my emotional state. Like you have something to do with it. And maybe you do, but it's none of your business. Why would you want it? Why are you getting angry? Now, why would you ask that?
0: <laughs> Robert Smythe, this has been a beautiful, wonderful conversation and I have enjoyed it immensely. And I can't I believe it's it over. Again.
1: Oh my God. I know.
0: <laughs> we definitely have to revisit this because I want to know the answer to your question.
1: Which one? <laughs>
0: your ADHD
1: one. Oh, oh yes, yes, yes. yes <laughs> About yes.
0: how you're going to respond or how you may be responding. We definitely have to revisit that. Thank you so much for being here today. You have been a phenomenal guest. Guys, be sure to go check out the A-Team podcast. I will have links below. You are going to love his show. His conversations are phenomenal. Thank you so much for being here, Robert.
1: Well, thank you, Carol Jean. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you.
0: If you are someone who likes to help people and share what has made a difference in your life, please share this talk show with a friend and on your social media accounts so that you can be the blessing in another late identified autistic's life. Be sure to tag me at Social Audie so I can personally say thank you. And to help keep the talk show ad free, please consider becoming a one-time or a recurring supporter through either buy me a coffee or the Anchor Podcast links in the show notes below. I truly appreciate your support. Thank you for being a listener, and thank you for adding your voice to our story.